Welcome to episode 112 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie. No producer Johnny Fam this week, as promised. He will also be out next week. Uh, as some of you know, the kid is newly married, uh, Mr. Hemi. Some of us are calling him these days. He he is off in Paris. You know, Dalton, he sent me uh, his props from this week from the Eiffel Tower, he said, L- literally climbing the Eiffel Tower. So still some dedication being shown by our producer, but he is certainly enjoying his time off right now. Well, you don't trust the fridge, so I think his props are off. If I can get a look at those, I'll make sure to short all of them. <laughs> they're, they're in the spreadsheet right now. You can take a quick peek before we... Before we get to it, but we do have a lot to get to today. A lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we've got the player props back after a couple week hiatus there, and then we're kind of getting into the real meat of draft season here. We're gonna start off with sleepers and breakouts before we get two negatives next week with with busts and that sort of thing. Dalton, a- anything you want to to touch on before we get started? I mean, we've had like Kareem Hunt news that turned in the noise. He has left. Indianapolis as of this recording right now with no deal so still uncertain where, where that's going to end anything else that has happened that that you want to just bring up before we jump into it I mean this is the first week of full preseason football <laughs> yeah at the Hall of Fame game since, since we last spoke and then we're yeah. going to have more legitimate games where the stars might play one series uh, throughout this week for sure and just remember, those depth charts that are coming out are entirely real, yep. well thought out, and important. That's why Bijan Robinson is the RB3. I was going to say, he is the third string running back and the RB3 in fantasy, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Love to see it. Love to see the offseason. At least we are, what is it, three weeks, four weeks away from the first NFL game? Yeah, we're what, 29 days, I think, September 7th. Yeah. So we're getting there. And. Where we are going to start today, Dalton, is where everybody expects with the New England Patriots and with Mac Jones in these player props. His over-under, 3,199.5 passing yards. The over and the under are both equal at minus 110. I'll give you all Johnny's first as we get going here. Uh, make him go first for a change, even though he's not here. Johnny is on the over with Mac Jones. Do you agree with him? Yeah, I, I thought this one was a little insane. Uh, I have him as the over. I mean, last year he was at 2,999 passing yards, missing games, not having an offensive coordinator, and just all around it was a terrible situation in New England. I actually like the odds for New England to win the AFC East. They're at plus 800. Obviously, when you're betting, you're betting partially on odds. I think mm-hmm. they have a better team than some of the other teams in the AFC East and are getting a little underrated. Their defense is the top five unit in the NFL. Uh, and I think with Bill O'Brien there leading the helm, they can get their offense working. And the Bills are an injury away at right receiver to being bereft of talent. And then we know the situation going on in Miami with Tua. And then I think the Jets are a little overrated in the NFL this year. Yep. I'm taking the over as well. Uh Bill Barnwell, I, I've talked to you about this a little bit off air, um, has Mac Jones as a post-hype sleeper just in his, from an NFL perspective. He wrote a big NFL-wide column on ESPN Insider that's trying to predict, like Trevor Lawrence went from star to like all-pro caliber, like that, that type of deal. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones and then uh, another guy that you have later, Dalton, on, on one of your lists, I won't spoil it, were, were the two post-hype sleepers. And 
They basically, like you said, no offensive coordinator last year, no legit offensive coordinator. We just don't, like, the smart people talk about that a lot, and I guess I'll lump us into that. I think we're kind of smart. Um, but, like, the smart podcast you listen to bring that up a lot. But I don't think that's really a mainstream talking point when it comes to Mac Jones and the Patriots and what this offense could look like this year. And then they ran almost no RPOs last season at all. They just did nothing to help Mac. And, you know, RPOs in general are nice, but for Mac Jones especially, they are very nice. Per Bill Barnwell, Dalton, do you want to guess Mac Jones' completion percentage on 76 RPO attempts at Alabama his last year? 72%. 72%. He was 93.4%, 71 of 76 for 868 yards and 10 touchdowns. Obviously, the, the gaudy numbers there are partially because he's playing with very good receivers. But also, like that seems like a strength of his game that maybe you want to implement into the offense and, and get get involved there. You mentioned that number being pretty low. Last year, he was at 37.50 and a half. I, I think we'll think of him more like the guy he was last year than he is right now. By, by the end of this season. Alexander Madison, boy, this is a guy that we, we have not talked about much on the show other than making uh, brief allusions to the, neither of us think he's really that good. His over-under is 900.5 rushing yards, plus 105 on the over, minus 125 on the under. So Vegas, not a believer in him hitting this number either. Johnny is on the under, and I agree with, with Johnny in this case as well. I mean, you look at it, he, he's never even topped 500, 500 rushing yards in a season. Obviously, he's had Dalvin Cook, but this guy's been in the league. I think this is entering his year four or year five. So he Year did, five because he was resigned. Yeah, so he, he's just, he's never done it. And this is, even with Dalvin Cook being gone, this is this would be double his production, double his workload, theoretically, maybe even more. His 74 carries last year were the fewest of his career. Uh, in, in year four and year one under this regime. And, you know, I think people paint the Dalvin Cook thing, you know, them letting him go and saving the money as as the Vikings saying, okay, now we've re- it, we really want to see what Madison's got. And I think that's partially true. But I also think it's true that this team had one of the highest pass above expectation numbers last year. I think they want to continue to play that way. At least that's what they're telling us with drafting Jordan Addison. They bring in Hawkinson midseason. Obviously, Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne still in the picture as well. Like, it just doesn't make sense to pay big money for a running back anyway, but especially when you want to run offense the way they do. So I think that's a bigger part of this whole story than people are letting on, and not necessarily that the coaches just believe this guy is a stud waiting to happen. I think he's good. I think he's fine. But 900, that that's a pretty gaudy number. It may not sound like that. That's a pretty big number uh, for, for Madison, I think. I'm going under. Yeah, and I'm stolly with you on this. I don't think Alexander Madison's good. I'm taking the under. Uh, I don't think he's good. A lot of the talk coming out of camp seems like they want to add somebody for pass protection as well because Alexander Madison hasn't been doing a good job at that, apparently. Oh, Kareem Hunt reportedly still has interest from multiple teams that we don't know of yet as of right now. So that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah. The Vikings having a pretty similar running scheme to the Cleveland Browns where he just was. Yeah, and so would um, Leonard Fournette in this situation. Um, I think anybody is a danger to Alexander Madison's touches. And then his career EPA or yards per rush is 3.8, which is, I mean, that's just objectively not a good number. And then if you look 
He has a 4.5 and a 4.8 yards per rush in games he started. Uh, and those two rushes came against the Detroit and Seattle Seahawks defenses, mm. which were abysmal against the run. Um, if you take those two away, he drops down to a 3.2. He He's just not a good running back, in my opinion. I don't think he's going to see a lot of time on the field. I think this team's going to want to pass a lot, and he's not going to be on the field. Uh, I'm just I'm taking the under here. I would be very surprised if Alexander Madison makes it a full season as the starter for the Vikings. The more I look at this guy, the less I want with him and I'm probably going to start ranking RB2s like David Montgomery ahead of him. Yeah, it's tough because I, I don't it's tough to predict he won't make make it the full season as a starter right now given the depth chart, but you know, I like Ty Chandler out of college, so maybe Ty Chandler is a guy there potentially, but even if Madison has this opportunity, you know, what one thing that that I'm always pretty big on is I'm not just ranking a guy based on opportunity and I'm not just going to project him 900 yards because he is the the unquestioned starter as things stand right now because we've seen it a million times teams will find somebody else if you stink and that it it, it is at least in the range of outcomes and I'm willing to be wrong here but if he starts off the season hot he'll probably be on a mid-season sell high list for me yep Agreed. And, you know, I thought this tandem was very interesting because Cam Akers ha- has proven quite a bit more in the NFL than Madison has through the in the last two years. Or in the two years he's been healthy, excuse me. But his line, Dalton, 750 and a half for rushing over or under. Under and over, both at minus 110, so not juiced either way. Johnny is on the under here. What do you think uh, about this number for Cam Akers? A guy that... Again, we have not talked about much, and I think that's because I don't really know how to talk about Cam Akers right now. Yeah, uh, Cam Akers, for me, this is an over. Uh, I think this is an injury prop in part. I mean, he hit this number on 188 carries last season. Uh, the, the depth behind him is pretty bad, other than Zach Evans, who I know we're both a fan of. My boy, Zach Evans. <laughs> but he's definitely like the undisputed RB one here. The problems are of course a poor offensive line and question marks about Stafford's health and how well that will go. But he averaged 4.2 carries last season, returning from an Achilles injury. He's another year removed. 4.2 4, 4, 4. yards per carry. 4, 4, 4. Yes. Yards per carry. yes. Uh, returning from that Achilles injury. I think he's going to do even better. I, I don't know how often they're going to be willing to pound the rock, but I'm sure he's going to get his opportunities here. And you go back two seasons ago, that playoff run, I mean, he was running the ball 28, 29 times. <laughs> it's it's clear Sean McVay is a fan of this guy. And well, I think it's going to be a pretty easy throw. See, and that's why I don't know how to talk about him. Because when you say it like that, it is very convincing. But we all remember about week three, week four, week five last year, the guys away from the team and the Rams are telling everybody, hey, come get him. We, we don't want him anymore. He is out there. And they just they couldn't trade him. So less than a year ago, their coach was like, I don't want this guy. Get this guy out of my face. And then he did get a lot of touches to end the season last year. But that's because it was, insert quarterback name here, insert wide receiver name here, Tyler Higby and Cam Akers was was basically the offense down the stretch. I'm still taking the over just because, you know, this number, he he's almost hit it twice in Seasons where he has not played, he's missed like a handful of games, three, four, five games, and had workload, inconsistent workloads. So you do have a little bit of that cushion baked into this, but this would not be one that I'd be comfortable betting because I, I, it's just been such a roller coaster ride. Like I was willing to bet on Cam Akers at his price last year coming off the Achilles, but 
And while he may be further away from that and looked healthier down the stretch, I'm just very nervous that the rug could be pulled out from under him at any point. And I'm with you. I like Zach Evans. I like his long-term future there. I'm not sure about this year, but as far as six-round picks go, that's obviously not great draft capital, but they did trade up to get him in the sixth round, so I, I think they like him too. I I don't know. I'm just I'm going to side with Akers on this one because the number is low, but this is a very hard player for me to wrap my head around right now. Like If we were making a swing players list, he would probably be number one or number two if you were just taking out all of the RB holdouts and injury guys and just other guys, he is up there for biggest potential swing players in fantasy leagues, I think. Yeah, I think he's definitely a swing player. Uh, this is also, I, I, I'm i pretty against betting any overs on running backs because of the hits they take in the NFL, and I wouldn't recommend you put real money on this one uh, as much as I'd prefer much better betting on wide receivers with, with numbers, who I think we'll talk about next. Um, but who knows? Maybe he ends up getting traded to a team that needs running back like the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> it, could, uh, it could happen. Or like the Bucks if Rashad White sucks, uh, which he might not I don't suck. know if there's an if there. Yeah, that's fair. All right, next one. Uh, I think we're all going to be in agreement on this one so we can make it pretty quick. Sky Moore, his over-under is 525 and a half. Receiving yards, Johnny is on the over. I'm on the over and actually made the bet myself on my phone while at work today. Um, and Dalton, I'm assuming you're on the over on, on this one as well. Yeah, I'm slapping the over on this one. Uh, like you said, we don't have to spend too much time on it. Uh, he, undisputed right now, guy running with the ones other than MVS out yeah. of like the Rasheed Rice, all all of the rookies we brought in, all of the second year, third year guys. He is the slot receiver on this offense. He is taking on the role that Juju is leaving behind. Uh, if you look to a lot of people who are smarter than us, like Matt Harmon, and Matt Waldman, they both pointed out that this was a player who's probably going to take a year. It definitely took a year, and there's no more weird stuff. He's not returning kicks. He's not returning punts, things he didn't do in college that we were trying to work him into last year as the Chiefs. Uh, so I'm just happy to take him. I don't think it's a hard prop for him to hit. I think he's going to have plenty of opportunity to hit that. I mean, this is just over a 17-game span. He has to average like 55 yards a game. He's it, more than above it. it. It's definitely less than that. Let me – do that little little math real quick. But yeah, I, I mean, Tony has the most talent, but I think Sky is the safest bet to lead receivers um, in in receiving yards on this team this year. And I just th- I just think he's going to hit this pretty easily if he is even remotely healthy. And it's, it's just so funny. Uh, MVS, he actually has a higher number by about 100, 125 yards than, than Sky right now. I would take Sky over MVS. And yardage straight up, I would. I'm taking Sky very comfortably over this number straight up. Like uh, you said, it. I think that role is going to be very secure. He is the guy without Tony right now, who has been that with the ones with MVS and some of the other guys rotating in and out. I think he'll establish himself as a starter type of guy. He has to average basically 31 yards a game to to get to that number if he played all 17. Yeah, I think that's just completely doable. Yeah, and you, you have a lot of uh, a lot of room for for injury um, for injury cushion right there. Like Mahomes led the NFL in completions tw- of twenty yards or more last season, so he can get close to that average in one play in probably four or five games at least this season. You'd imagine. All right, Devonta Smith, uh, his over under. Um, let me pull it back up here. Is nine hundred seventy five and a half. 
minus 110 on the over, minus 110 on the under. I should also mention uh, for Sky Moore, it was minus 120 on the over, plus 100 on the under. So they're, they're feeling the over too, but the, the, the number still is the number right now. Devontae Smith, 975.5, minus 110 for both the over and the under. Johnny is on the over. Dalton, what do you think? I mean, this one's one of those ones where I question if it really exists sometimes. I mean, it's over for me it's easily. There. He was almost there his rookie year where he played with a lot of, you know, poor quarterback play, unimproving mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts. And now he has A.J. Brown to take on the double coverages. He gets a lot of good looks. The deep threats are open. Uh, if you take his 16 or 17 game span and take out week one of last year, he was where, hit, where he had yeah, zero yards, where he had zero, zero yards week one. He was going to hit like 1300 yards or something crazy. So yeah. I'm, I'm all in on this. This is a pretty easy bet for me. Yeah. He was like 1196, I think was his total. So I don't know what his per game average, but he probably would have been like 1270, 1260, something like that. Probably like 1270. If he just had a normal or even just like an okay game week yeah. one instead of literally zero yards. Yeah, I, I'm on the over and I almost put Jalen Hurts here instead just to talk about. Uh, but I chose Devonta Smith. But we talked about A.J. Brown. how He was a clear over for us a couple weeks ago. It seems like Vegas is really kind of shorting this Eagles offense. Jalen Hurts' number is 3,700 pretty much on the dot. And he almost hit that number last year and he missed the game and then was not himself in the game he was back to end the season last year. So, yeah, I don't don't know why Vegas is predicting such a drop-off, but he was over this by a lot last year. I think he's a really, really, really awesome player. He's in a great spot next to A.J. Brown. I'm taking this over pretty easily. Yeah, and one thing I think that's not being talked about with the Eagles' offense or defense enough is that there could be a substantial drop-off. They lost Jonathan Gannon. They lost several players who had significant snaps. They brought in two off-the-street linebackers during training camp this week because they have a major hole at linebacker. And if that defense takes a drop off and they play in some tighter games, they're going to be passing the ball more. I mean, their pass rate over expectation in the first half of games was like fourth in the league. In the second half, they were in the bottom 10 because they were just running the ball because they were up by 20 in so many games. Yeah, and the the defense taking a step back and the schedule is going to be harder this year, both of those things. So if they their defense takes a step back, I mean there there is still a lot of untapped potential. It's not like they reached their limit last offseason. I agree with you there. All right, on to sleepers, on to breakouts. We will start with sleepers. And for anybody unfamiliar with the term or, you know, just unfamiliar with uh with our podcast and maybe other podcasts you listen to use different words like for for breakout or whatever if they're grouping these. So a sleeper in in a lot of cases in what we're talking about today is a guy being drafted pretty late in drafts. I tried to go around like top 100, like outside top 40 at position. I I have just running back and receiver in both of these today. And I I think you do, I know you have a quarterback in there as well. Um, But guys that are being drafted basically not as starters uh, is the easy way to think think about it. And then breakout, you know, it could be a guy that's like a fringe starter or it could be a guy that has already established himself as a good player but we think he's going to go from good to great. He's going to go from he can be a starter on your team to this guy is a true difference maker week in, week out at the position. And without further ado, Dalton, after that explanation, I will leave it to you. Who is your first sleeper? Uh, 
my first sleeper is a player that I think I'm the most excited to see what he does in the NFL this year. This guy is electric. He was taken fourth overall in the NFL draft, and it's Anthony Richardson. I skipped out on underdog ADPs here because I think they're a little sharper, Mm -hmm. but his ADP in what I would call a less sharp league is QB 16. Mm -hmm. So he's not being drafted as a starter at all. And I think that's absolutely egregious uh, for a few reasons. First, this guy's relative athletic score was a 10. I mean, it out of 10, like it's as high as you can go. Mm -hmm. And out of 916 quarterbacks who have had a relative athletic score, he's number one. He's bigger than Derrick Henry. And he's faster than Derrick Henry, and he's playing quarterback. Um, so just starting off there, this guy's an athletic freak, and I think that alone warrants you drafting him because if he's even a mediocre passer, what he does in the run game is going to be great. Uh, a lot of the hiccups people have with him, I think, are what they saw him do in Florida. And we've talked about this on here before, so if you've heard this before, I'm sorry to go over it again. But it's a Mickey Mouse offense in Florida. They ran the most go routes in college football last year. This is from Sports Info and Statistics by 20%. There was no intermediate to short passing this offense because they don't play it that way. This is an offense that has misused other guys like Canarius Tony and Damian Pierce, who then came into the NFL and looked like they were a lot better than they did at Florida. Um, so I'm not putting a lot of stock into it. But this is also a player who, until his senior year of high school, didn't play football. Yep. He's not like Bryce Young. He's not like C.J. Stroud. He didn't go to every Manning camp. So his passing is going to be a little raw. But what he makes up for that is that he is just a complete athlete. And I thought this was a great stat. Among quarterbacks drafted in the top 12 with over 80 rushing attempts, none of them have finished outside the top 12 in quarterbacks. Those are Cam Newton, Robert Griffin III, and Kyler Murray. The only one who did finish outside the top 12 is Josh Allen, and that's because Josh Allen had an elbow injury through his rookie season. Um, but out of all those players, they averaged 20.2 fantasy points per game, which would put him at QB7. So I think the value is there. He's already splitting snaps with Gardner Minshew, and then he comes into an offense with Shane Steichen, who coached Jalen Hurts, was there for that second-year leap, and then his quarterback coach was Cam Newton's quarterback coach his first year in Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we have the guys who know how to coach these athletic freaks, and then he has some of the better receivers. It's not like other rookies who come in and don't have anybody to throw to. He has Michael Pittman, he has Alec Pierce, and he has Josh Downs. I think it's going to be an electric offense, and I'm pretty high on him. I think he is a dark horse to finish, like, top five quarterbacks and be one of those guys who's winning you every week and is a start for good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about – uh, pretty much everything you said there, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But I guess yeah, I am curious. You look back. I, I was looking back at our 2022 lists and remembered that you had Michael Pittman as a breakout. Uh, top 12, maybe top five is what I have written down. Obviously, that didn't work out for Pittman last year. Are you thinking that Richardson's passing is like none, neither of us have him ranked like like that or anywhere close to that right now? But do you see a world where Richardson's passing is good enough to where Pittman can kind of be a a year late breakout to, to that level or close to what we thought he could be last year? Um, I think Michael Pittman is a value at wide receiver 33. Mm-hmm. But if you were asking me to kind of pick a guy in this room, I, I think I'm taking Alec Pierce. He His deep down the field threat really matches well with what we know Anthony Richardson is good at, which is throwing absolute bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ability to play make and kind of get out of the pocket is going to give Alec Pierce those opportunities. And then it's training camp and it is what it is, but a lot of coaches are seeing a lot of improvement on him. So he's the guy that I'm probably targeting out of this wide receiver room. 
And I mean, part of that is because he's going as wide receiver like 71. But secondly, yeah. I think he could easily break into the top 40 with some long touchdowns. And I think that offense is going to provide that. Yep. I, I will say Ben Gretsch and uh, was it Dwayne McFarlane? Who was the other guy? Did you see the the RPO uh, research that, that they did? Have you heard people talk about that? No, I haven't. I, I, I don't have the exact like numbers or anything in front of me. I'd have to go try and track it down. It may be behind a paywall. I've just heard reference to it. But if they do embrace the, the RPO stuff, which they should, uh, with Richardson's cannon, frankly, of an arm and the threat of the run and all of that, that's a lot of one read, first read type of stuff. So I think Pittman, not that – I don't know who I'd take at value in this room. I guess Pierce is, is cheap. So he, it's hard not to like it, but I think that's going to help Pittman too because he's going to be the first read on that kind of stuff if that is what the offense looks like this year. Yeah, and I think just seeing what um, Shane Steichen did in Philadelphia, RPOs are going to be a major part of this game, whether or not it's Jonathan Taylor or somebody else in that backfield. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay, before I get to my first one, I do have just a couple of honorable mentions that I eh, don't want to really talk much about, but I'll just mention – I have Jordan Addison here. He's not on the ultimate list because he's a little bit too shallow of a name, but I don't want to really put a rookie. I, I, I don't like when I see people put rookies in the breakout category because we just haven't, you know, we haven't ever seen them. They have nothing to break out from. They're breaking out from nothing. Um, I have backup Patriots running back written down if they have not signed anybody else. Like, we're, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, Stevenson not practicing, Stevenson being load managed, and, and they talk about, how he wore down at the end of last year. I just think one of Pierre Strong or Kevin Harris is going to be a factor. And right now it's kind of looking like Harris has the leg up, but Pierre Strong is the more recent draft pick. But I just think one of those guys can be a nice value. You'll probably have to draft either one. You could probably just make him make a note. Like let's watch what week one looks like with these or guys. Ty Montgomery. Yeah. Well, Ty Montgomery just gets hurt every third week. Michael Wilson. Uh, the reports are all great out of Cardinals camp. From him, would not be a shock to see him as the starter opposite Hollywood Brown. Uh, he would have been drafted much higher if he had better health and better production in college, but he was just oft injured, and the production profile was, was not great because of that, and he's an older prospect because of that. But this is a guy who, if you just remove that baggage, was probably one of the five or six more most talented receivers in this draft. And then last one, Rashawn Johnson. Uh, I like Khalil Herbert. Big fan, um, Dalton, you and I listened to a podcast the other day where both Chris Harris and Brett Coleman mentioned uh, Khalil Herbert as a guy there afraid could lose his job. And Coleman made the point that Johnson is a great scheme fit for this current regime, which makes sense. He, he was drafted by them. Inside zone type of deal, Khalil Herbert, more of an outside zone, and that's not what they really do anymore. I think Herbert is better, but Johnson, drafted by this regime, one to watch going forward. Any thoughts on any of those four before we get into my first sleeper on the list? No, I mean, I like them all. I think they're, you, you got a lot of good names there. Michael Wilson's the most interesting to me um, because in that Arizona wide receiver room, everybody is like 5'8 or under except for Michael Wilson. Yep. So he, he just fits the role of what they need. Uh, obviously, that team as a whole is going to be pretty putrid this year, but there's going to be value where there's a lot of trash. Yep, agreed with you there. All right. My first one, uh, people who listen to us will not be surprised at who I have here, and that is Mr. Zay Flowers. I know we got the news that Rashad Bateman is back at practice off the PUP, so love to see that. Um, but 
still some question marks about Bateman and his health and durability and all of that. So more, more to come maybe on that later. But I just think there is incredible upside in taking a guy like Zay Flowers where he's going. I thought I had his ADP written down, but I think he's like in the wide receiver 40s as I scroll here. But anyway, he is tied to Lamar Jackson, and he's tied to a passing offense that we are both heavily buying right now. Wide receiver 49 is where he's at on consensus ADP and fantasy pros. Lamar, you know, it's not that long ago he led the NFL in passing touchdowns when he won the MVP. Not saying he's going to do that, but he has just simply not had a healthy season and good receivers or healthy receivers for the most part since that season. And then this should be a much more more fast-paced offense with more passing than Greg Roman under Todd Munkin. So we have that. Lamar has basically said when asked about the difference between this offense and the previous version that we're going to throw more and we're going to run less. Obviously, you can't take everything a player says to the bank. But I, I think that we're all buying that there's going to be at least a little bit more of a lean to the pass for this team. And then when you just talk about Zay as a player, he was my second favorite prospect as a receiver behind JSN and Miss Class. And for me, it was really a 1A, 1B situation. I really, really liked him as a reporter and he or as a as a player. And the reporters at Ravens camp, and as a result, you would think the Ravens at Ravens camp are really laying it on thick. When it comes to Flowers and how he's looked, I, I know you've seen it all, Dalton. Uh, I don't know if you saw this one today, though, from ESPN. Uh, the ESPN Ravens reporter wrote this, and I quote, He's making a franchise which has never had a Pro Bowl wide receiver, which is pretty incredible to think about. Uh, begin to believe it may have landed the NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Year with the number 22 pick. Now, again, I'm not predicting that. I'm not saying he's going to do that, but... He is certainly turning heads, and for good reason, I think, at camp. He is a electric route runner. He got the nickname Joystick from Lamar for a reason. Like, I think to, tell, to give people a little info on this guy who they haven't seen him play, he's like an actualized version of Kadarius Tony, like a more polished route runner than Tony. He has that same start-stop. He may not have quite the contact balance that Tony has, but... He has that same start-stop, that same acceleration, the open field stuff, and he's a more polished route runner, and he, at least to this point in his college career, hasn't had the durability issues that, that Tony has. Odell, to me, is just a complete unknown. I don't know what he's going to look like. Bateman, I still think, is awesome. I still think he could be the best receiver in this room, but to me, he he's just a big risk with the injury right now. Maybe that risk will feel... Less so as we go, if he keeps practicing, like he literally practiced today for the first time, all training camp. So I'm in on Zay Flowers this year. It's always good business to take uh, these rookies at at cost if the cost is good in your drafts. And I I think the cost is very good in this case with Zay Flowers. Yeah, uh, we're both big Zay Flowers fans here. Uh, I think he got knocked in the draft process because he played at Boston College, and even then he was still a first-round pick. But this guy played with complete nobodies at quarterback and still has some really impressive tape coming out of college. Uh, the addition of Todd Monken is something that you and I have both been all over all offseason. His pass rate above expectation is much higher than a lot of offensive coordinators in the league. The Ravens are finally entering the 21st century when it comes to their offense. Mm. Uh, Lamar Jackson has proven himself to be more than an above-average passer. I think he's close enough to being elite that he can easily carry a player like this. 
And then with his legs, there's just a lot of dual threat capabilities there. I almost had Rashad Bateman on my sleepers list for all the same reasons about mm-hmm. this offense. I think they're going to be electric. I think Zay Flowers is really good. His contact balance is elite for an NFL wide receiver. His hands are there. There, there aren't any question marks in his game with like we have with some other rookies. Mm-hmm. The only question mark with Zay Flowers is where he lands on the depth chart. But even then, I think this offense can easily support two fantasy assets. And at wide receiver 49, it's it's really easy for you to make your money up. And I think he's a, a top 32 guy by the end of the year. He, he very well could be. And maybe I'll talk about this more in coming shows. I have not decided if Mark Andrews is going to be a bust or not. But – are we sure this offense is going to revolve around Mark Andrews like it has in years past? Because just this receiver room and the system is so much different. And I like Andrews. I think he's good. But I don't think it's crazy to think that a receiver could be at least the 1B, if not the 1A, in, in this offense. And that would hurt Andrews. And then it would make any of these receivers uh, a mega steal. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think I have Mark Andrews. That's my tight end too, but I could very see myself ranking Derek yeah. Waller above and, him. And it would be more, <laughs> of course, it'd be Derek Waller. It, w- it would be more about uh, uh, Mark Andrews versus the receivers and the running backs that he's going around probably for me. But, yeah, I'm with you there. Also, uh, Kevin, I, I want to let you know we will get to your question at the end, maybe when we have you know a couple minutes to talk about it. I see it in there. want to let you know we'll get to it. Dalton, who is your second sleeper? Uh, this is another guy who – the ADP doesn't make sense to me based on where he finished last season and the situation he's walking into. But I have Nico Collins uh, out of the Houston Texans here. He has an ADP right now of wide receiver 60 on a team where I don't think anybody's really competing for his, his share of targets. Uh, they drafted Tank Dell, who is the most undersized wide receiver we've seen in the NFL. Like he is smaller than Devonta Smith by a large margin. And there were question marks people had about Devonta Smith. Is, is he smaller uh, than Jordan Addison? Well, he's shorter than Jordan Addison. Is he, is. Is, is he skinnier than Jordan Addison? I, I think he's like 165. He's like, he's like two, two Atwell size. If, there, if there's a heavy breeze in Houston, he will be blown <laughs> off the field. Well, they play in the dome. So that's helpful. That's good for him. No way games though. Um, his get, biggest... that, get that boy in Cleveland and he is out of there. <laughs> Weather, weather game city <laughs> in Cleveland. Uh, his biggest competition at X receiver is Robert Woods, who mm-hmm. we saw in an uninterrupted target situation last year in Tennessee and didn't do anything with it. So I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, the biggest question mark for him is quarterback. So I looked this up. Since 2010, there have been 35 rookie quarterbacks with 300-plus passing attempts, which I think C.J. Stroud's going to pretty likely clear. Yeah. Um, their top wide receiver has averaged as fantasy's wide receiver 37. So there's already a big margin between what the average finish is and what he's being drafted at. And I think it's a pretty easy number for him to get to. Uh, Matt Harmon wouldn't charge him and has him as above average X in the NFL, which I think is good enough for him to beat this ADP. I mean, this is 11th, 12th round ADP. Yeah, and, and that was going to be my, my question and, and is always my question with these guys late in drafts like this. Like, let's just put Nico Collins on, I'm trying to think of just like a random, not terrible, but not let, let's put him on God. I, I, I'm either thinking of really good or really bad. Let's just say, let's put him on an average team. Let's put him on an average NFL team an average NFL. Put him on offense. the Vikings. I mean, yeah, but I think the Vikings are above average passing offense. That's fair. Um, well, how about I mean, this? Let's put him on Tennessee. Like let's take DeAndre Hopkins off of Tennessee 
and and put him on Tennessee, where would he be ranked? I would say probably top 45, top 40. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I am a big believer that talent earns targets Mm -hmm. and it's not the other way around. And last season, over the last six games, he out-targeted Brandon Cooks by 12. And then his finish last year was subpar, one, because of injury, but two, Nico Collins was targeted at the 20th highest rate in the NFL among wide receivers, but had the eighth highest off-target rate. I think C.J. Stroud is a significant improvement Mm. to Davis Mills. And then there's whatever the name of the former Florida quarterback that that play yeah. in their two quarterback platoon. I can't even think of it. I uh, can't either. But but uh, yeah, I, I'm with I, I think Stroud, even if he struggles as a rookie, is gonna be a significant upgrade from what yeah. he had last year. And then even with the target competition uh increasing 357 vacated targets of this offense, like there's opportunity for him to grab. And he is other than maybe Dalton Schultz, he is their best red zone weapon. So I'm I'm wheels up on Nico Collins. He's definitely a guy I'm taking late in drafts and somebody who I'm happy to watch for if he's a waiver wire guy later in the season. Yeah, and also, you know, John Mechie, wide receiver 71 right now. Don't have to draft him, but he's another guy that if you don't draft him with your last pick in a deeper draft, he is one I'm watching on waivers because he's a prospect that a lot of people liked a, a decent bit coming out. Obviously, we don't we've never seen him play. We don't know what he's going to look like post the the sickness, but that that's a guy worth monitoring too. But very different player, different role um, from what Nico Collins. So yeah, I, I like the the Nico call overall. I'm I'm with you on him being an underrated receiver, real life receiver, and probably underrated just due to situation uh, and fantasy. And another guy that I think is being underrated due to situation is the current running back fifty one in fantasy pros consensus ADP, that is Jalen Warren. I think for a lot of us who watched Steelers games down the stretch, I think most people would have said that Jalen Warren was out playing Najee Harris in in those games last season. The situation for both guys is the exact same, and, and he was just flat better at the end of the year. And if you look at their splits for the whole season, it's 5.59 yards per rush and 7.64 yards per reception. For Warren, and then it's 3.8 and 5.59 for Najee. Obviously, they're different players. They get different types of runs. Yes, Kevin, you're right. Najee was hurt, so that was definitely part of it too. But Najee wasn't hurt his rookie year and was definitely, um, I would say, uninspiring. At least not what we thought. Like He's like a very average NFL running back, maybe slightly above. Like he and Isaiah Pacheco, I'm not sure there's really much of a difference between the two. And Najee was drafted... Uh, to be much more than that, obviously. And, and then you look at Warren, he, he got uh, about 38% of the snaps as a rookie, 11 rushes of 10 or more yards. Like, I, I just think um, that this guy, he, again, I, I agree with you, Kevin, that Najee gets the heavier look, so he's going to have the lower yards per carry. But I do just think that that Warren looked at least as good last year. Not saying he's going to be better this year. And not even saying, like, remember Lamar Miller as a guy who – everyone's clamoring more volume, more volume, more volume for Lamar Miller. He gets it, and it's like, oh, he's just now the same guy, but he's more inefficient. That at least is the talking point the Cowboys put out there for why they don't want to give Tony Pollard more volume. But we're taking this guy at RB51. Like, he's a pure backup and one of the five or six best handcuffs as opposed to a guy that can have legit standalone value 
Like he averaged 55 yards per game in in those last four weeks of of the season last year, and that was with Najee playing and, and producing at a perfectly fine rate for fantasy too. Like I just think there's a world where we don't see Najee get that typical Pittsburgh Steelers workload like that alpha workload because that wasn't what was happening at the end of last season his rush share dipped by about five percent in the last seven games as Warren was starting to come on down the stretch so I just think there's guys who he is more talented than Warren and that he is gonna maybe have a bigger opportunity than that he's going around and he's one of my favorite bench running backs just to snag as like your RB four or five on your team that I think can turn into a legit flex play if you just watch it play out for a couple of weeks, and, and I'm right in that. Yeah, I mean, I like Colin Warren. Uh, overall, I think there's a bit of a, a discount being given to the Steelers' offense, and I think they're going to be better this year. Uh, I mean, they had to trot out Mitch Trubisky half the season, and Kenny Pickett definitely yep. took his licks. Uh, they improved their offensive line, so I think their rush efficiency is going to go up just across the board. Um, and then... Mike Tomlin's always been a coach who's put out a good offense, excluding last year. The, the Steelers have always had an offense in the top 15 in the NFL. I have my question marks about Matt Canada, but if they can improve that offense, I think Kenny Pickett's got to do it. Uh, when it comes to, I mean, Najee Harris, I think he's appropriately valued right now, like RB15. Mm-hmm. But I think I think, most, I, have, I think I have an RB14. So, yeah, yeah. it's not like I, I think Najee going to be terrible. And, you know, Kevin even agrees with me. He, he likes Najee more than us. But even he thinks, you know, Warren, good, good flex play, good handcuffs. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, and that's what you're looking for with those late round picks. Like a lot of people try to draft a player who's going to be like on the field 30% of the time. But what you're looking for is somebody who, if their starter goes down, you know, they're an immediate contributor. And I think Jalen Warren's definitely the guy to get as a handcuff in that Steelers so offense and, anyways. Yep. And that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, you, you look at if Najee were not on the team tomorrow, whether it's injury or whatever, and Warren was the starting running back with somebody else in the picture. Is Warren a top 20 running back? Top, like, 22 to 24 at the very least? Like, I think so. And, you know, so that's probably 80%, 90% as good as the ranking that Najee's going to have by most people. So, yeah, I, I just think he is worth worth the price and then some where he's going. Like, I, I would take him a good 10, good 10 spots higher than that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. All right. Uh, you gave both of yours. We are on to our breakouts. Again, as I mentioned earlier, these are more guys, more high-profile guys who we think can kind of take that that leap and become uh, big-time contributors for your fantasy teams. Dalton, who is your first breakout? Uh, my first breakout, I feel like this is a bit of a cheat because he basically broke out last year. But is, just it, is, at his is, it, is it because we've had him on list for every year of the show's existence? We have had him on list for every year, <laughs> but it, yet again, I think he's undervalued and it's Brandon Ayuk. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, his ADP right now is wide receiver 28. Uh, last year he finished as a wide receiver 15 yep. and just running through Brandon Ayuk's season last year, it went two games of Trey Lance, one of them in a monsoon, six games of Jimmy Garoppolo, and then a rookie quarterback who did light up the NFL um, and despite all of those ups and downs, which we would write off a lot of receivers, he finished as the wide receiver 15. Matt Harmon, who I think is great at evaluating wide receivers, has compared him to pre-trade Stefan Diggs with the Vikings, where we're just significantly undervaluing this guy's skills. Uh, he is 
has a 20% first read target share among this offense, which is really hard to do considering he's competing against Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. Last season, he was 21st in the NFL in yak per reception. And among wide receivers, he was fourth in the NFL in yak per reception, which I think a lot of people underrate how good he is at yards after the catch because he catches so many deep balls where that's not yep. really in his potential. Well, and then his his teammate Debo is just so good after the catch that it's easy to overshadow Ayuk in that regard. Yeah, um, and I think that's part of the reason he's being drafted so low is because he's – on the field mates with Debo Samuel. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from week seven onward, and I'm doing this to include Christian McCaffrey, because I think he's important Mm -hmm. to this offense. Brandon Ayuk had a 23% target share. Mm -hmm. His average step of the target was 9.7 yards. He's the only only guy that can do what he does in the passing game. Like he, he's the true receiver of this group. Like Kittle's a very good receiver. Debo is a very good receiver, but they're not doing the downfield stuff like Brandon Ayuk is, who I agree with you. I, I think he's one of, like Matt Harmon said this, I agree with it. He's one of the 10 best receivers in the NFL. Doesn't mean he's going to be a top 10 fantasy guy because of the situation, but but yeah. Yeah, and I mean, from that week seven point onward, he outscored Debo Samuel by one or by 2.8 points per game. He had a higher ADOT by six yards, and he had a higher target share by 2%. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and, this... and, and let me give you this. I, I gave this staff a few weeks ago with, on Debo, uh, but last year, weeks 10 through 14, which are the games where Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, and CMC all played in the regular season, Debo was the wide receiver 23. I don't have it written down, but I, I remember this for a fact. Ayuk was like wide receiver 21, 22. He, he was right yeah. there. So he may be a little hard-pressed to hit wide receiver 15 again, but also is Debo, CMC, and Kittle, or I mean, and Ayuk too. Like, probably what's going to happen is these guys are going to get injured at various points of the season, and when they're not, it's going to be a frustrating ride at times, but I think the end result could very easily be another top 20, 24 type of season for Ayuk. And then like if one of those guys went down or if he just continues to ascend and becomes truly the number one receiving option, this is a player that has the upside of a top 10 receiver if everything broke correctly. Yeah, and this really stuck out to me. Brandon Ayuk is one of eight rookie wide receivers to average over 15 points per game. Mm Mm-hmm. All seven of the other players have had top 12 fantasy finishes in their career. Um, so I'm not – and we know he's talented. It's not like his rookie season was an outlier. So I think yep. he's a shoe in to eventually hit that, and I'm willing to take that bet. It's this year. I, I'm just all in on Brandon Ayuk. You getting him as a wide receiver too, and he's a, he is a wide receiver one. He's probably this team's wide receiver one for all intents and purposes. He runs the real wide receiver routes. He mm-hmm. does it super well. So I love him. I'm willing to take him. I think he's a screaming value even at wide receiver 28. I would take him all the way up like wide receiver 16 and feel really comfortable. That's what I was going to say. Is you don't have, like I have him in the top 20, I think like 17. You have him 16. That's a good 12 spots, 13 spots to have ADP. Just split that difference and, and take him. Uh, you, you know, obviously you can't control where you pick, but you can split that difference if you have that control in your draft spot and take him probably half a round later, maybe a whole round later, and and you can still get him at a discount for, for what we think his upside can be. Yeah, I agree completely. Who yeah. do you got as your first breakout? So my first breakout, um, I went back to, to Kansas City for this one, and that is Isaiah Pacheco. You know, we talked about Pacheco at the beginning of 
our summer slate of shows here as being a guy that is underrated. But I just like I thought the ADP would eventually adjust a bit, and it just hasn't. And, and Pacheco is a guy who right now is going RB twenty nine um, on Fantasy Pros consensus ADP. You look back at last season. I know I've given this exact spiel on the show. He was the RB seventeen. Once he became the basically when C, when when uh, Ceh got hurt in that Chargers game at the very beginning, from that point on, Pacheco was the RB seventeen. So that's like a, a six seven week sample. So not major, but not insignificant. That's a decent chunk of the season, and that's even with Jarek McKinnon going God mode down the stretch and being the RB seven in that stretch. And that was also like I know everybody's concerned with Pacheco is he's a two-down back. He doesn't play on third downs, which he really didn't do last year besides the AFC Championship game when they just had to get somebody out there who could make plays, and he was a guy that came through for them. He was only on pace for that six-game stretch for something like 22 receptions in a 17-game sample. So he didn't need the receptions to be a top-20 guy last season because this offense is so proficient because the touchdown opportunities are going to be there. And he wasn't carried by touchdowns. I think he had four touchdowns down the stretch last season, no games with multiple touchdowns and the receptions are low. Like that, that just tells you the just pure yardage production is going to be there because he himself is a good downhill runner. And he just fits really, really well with what the chiefs need a running back to be a, a runner at running back to be, which is a powerful runner, an interior runner, to, to mesh with that interior offensive line that can really mash when they get going. And he, he's just a perfect fit for that. If you extend his sample size out to the playoff games, I mean, this guy was on pace for well over a thousand yards. He still was at 831, which we just discussed. Cam Akers has never hit 831 rushing yards. Alexander Madison has never hit 831 rushing yards. Both guys on worse offenses and worse situations, arguably, and are, are being drafted and prognosticated ahead of Pacheco right now. Like, all indications are this guy is on track to play week one. That'll be something to watch. But just keep in mind, he did what he did last season, playing with the hand injury, playing with the shoulder injury. Both of those required surgery after the season, and I haven't seen exactly when either of those happened. But just from what I've read, it sounds like he was dealing with that for a significant amount of time last season. And, like... I just don't think it's going to take much for him to outperform this RB29. And I think if he does, like, what if he does go up just a little bit in the passing game? Which I think he will. I think he's going to earn a little bit of a bigger role in the passing game this year than last year. He, he's a rookie back. The, the the main thing that most rookie backs are going to struggle with is pass protection and, and you know, all of that, all of that scheme stuff on third down, that's going to be the last thing that comes around as far as trust goes with, with a coaching staff. And that's just not something that you're going to get thrown out there to do. If you're not trusted with Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback, like, will he be the main guy on third down? No, I, I wouldn't bet on it. He could be, but I wouldn't bet on it. Even if he's a little bit more of a factor on third downs, he was already top 20 with it. I think he has legit RB one upside and I have him ranked right at RB17. Like, I just think this is a major, major value. I like the player. Obviously, I like the situation. And then you even look back at last season, there is upside in the rushing game for him to improve, too. Just because, like, 
Again, 831 rushing yards with CEH being there over half the season. Pacheco was at about 30% of their rushes inside the five, 35% inside the red zone. CEH was at 22% of those. And then in the short yardage stuff, short yardage down distance, CEH was at 50% to Pacheco's 38. So he, he just didn't play enough early on. And even what he did down the stretch wasn't enough to accumulate in, into him being the lead back and those things. Like, I, we're going to get a full year of Pacheco being the lead guy if he's healthy. I just couldn't be more all-in at that price. And even if he were ranked as the RB17, I want to take him at that price. I'm not afraid of that price for him like I am with Kenneth Walker right around there, for example. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, just pulling some of these stats from our ranking show, there are 21 total touchdowns among running backs not named Pacheco on this team. Obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had an absurd start to the season last year that he was like a top five RB through six weeks. Um, and I think we're all in consternation that he's not that good. Uh, this team, Kansas City as a whole, is going to have a very difficult roster cutdown situation among their wide receiver, tight end, and running back rooms. Uh, Pacheco's obviously not in that cut field, but in the event that their running back room gets cut down to three. And I think that's a very high possibility. And I think the odd man out in that is Clyde Hilaire. Um, he is in a better position than he was last year. Mm-hmm. And he's going to come out last year. He didn't have a single game above a 50% snap share mm-hmm. in season. I think that's going to change. I bet, I, bet, I, I bet that'll happen week one. I, I bet yeah. that'll happen week one if he's healthy. Yeah, Jarek McKinnon is a guy that the Kansas City knows. He's 31 years old. They love what he does. He's Mahomes' protector. He's a great blocker. But there's no point in using him early in the season when you know you're going to make the playoffs. So I think he's going to see less time. I think generic Prince can work his way as a third down back. But Pacheco has the ability to be like an every down runner for this team. Mm-hmm. I think our offensive line made some improvements with Jerron Taylor joining this team. I think he's a better run blocker than we saw last year with Orlando Brown. And then obviously Pacheco is going to see boxes that aren't stacked because yep. no defense wants to give Mahomes a seven player look in the middle of the field to throw deep ball to the outside. So it's really, I mean, all the benefits are there and this is just a year where fantasy players have been burned so many times by the Kansas City running back room that we're overreacting and we're underdrafting all the players in the room. Mm-hmm. But prior to the CEH signing, Andy Reid has a history of bell cows. I mean, everywhere he's been, it's been a bell cow back. And until he, he, I, CEH, I, I, I think he's just like any other coach where if he doesn't have a guy that's good enough, he'll go committee. But if he does, he'll go bell cow. Yeah, and I think um, after – Four years, I can solidly say that maybe CEH isn't good. <laughs> and I think Pacheco's a better back than CEH. And if there's improvement, I mean, he had six targets in an AFC game last year in the championship. Yep. So there's room there for him to grow. And I was going to say, nobody should go back and look at that game and be like, okay, he can get five targets a game. That That is not what we're saying. But just go back and watch some highlights from that game. Watch what he does with those targets. Like, how tough he is to tackle in the open field. The extra yardage he can get, he, he does that between the tackles. But when he's out in space against those smaller guys trying to bring him down, he, he could be a problem out there. So I, I do think that they, they should try and get him more involved in that area. Like, he he made some things happen when they needed it most. So, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I am all in on Pacheco. Who Who is your second and final breakout player? Um, I mean, we're going back to the grab bag with both Ayuk and now my second breakout, which is another player that we've probably talked about every year and talked about positively. Uh, but I have Antonio Gibson mm-hmm. here. 
he's being drafted right now as the RB34. So it was an RB3 for a lot of teams. I just want to like I want to start this out by remembering what last offseason was for this guy. Um, he was being talked about as just a special teamer. Like Ron Rivera and Co. said, you know what, he's probably gonna be our kick returner. We're yep. not gonna see him on the field a lot. And, and he I remember they played the Chiefs in the preseason. He returned the first kick and we were like, Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> uh and then he went on to finish as the RB thirty two. Not great at all. From fantasy points, his expected fantasy finish was RB eighteen in weighted opportunity. And then you look at kind of what happened with his season. He played four games with a fractured foot. If you take those games out, his 11 healthy games last year, he averaged 12.8 fantasy points per game, mm-hmm. which would have put him at RB17. So right there, I'm feeling better. Now we bring in a better pass game coordinator and offensive coordinator to Eric Bieniemy, And you look at what's leaving in J.D. McKissick. And he trailed only Eckler, McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara in targets per game from 2020 to 2022. That's the kind of opportunity we're leaving here. And there's no one else in this room who I'm concerned about taking targets. It's Brian Robbins. It, it, it's just tough because we have hoped for years that Gibson, like, it's just so weird. The guy did not play running back at all in college. And then he comes to the NFL and he ter- gets turned into a between the tackles thumper, which is not like he should have been a a guy who can catch a lot of passes as a running back. And he hasn't been that. So it, it, I understand we've all been burned by that aspect of it. And it's hard just to say, oh, he's going to step into this role, even though like, I think we all think he should, but clearly there is something there that Ron Revere doesn't like. But I think you're about to say this, the way the skill set that he has matches up a lot better with what you picture the ideal chiefs running back being under B enemy than uh than brian robinson's does well and part uh, and when you look at his fantasy finishes i get the ride was bumpier than the end but his first two years in the nfl he finished to the rb12 and rb15 yep and like it's not like he drastically underperformed and didn't end up where he wanted to be and pff over the last two years has him ranked as the third best receiving back i'm not going to put all my stock in pff receiving grades but being behind cmc and eckler i mean gives a lot of hope that he's going to be to do be able to do it and then you have brian robinson and chris rodriguez as other two running backs in this draft chris rodriguez has 20 total passes caught over five seasons of kentucky and brian robinson is never profiled to be a high tier receiving back uh so i mean you put all of these things together and i have a good chance at him being the guy and then over the past three years Gibson is one of 12 running backs to handle at least 300 touches. Like it's very few guys who've been able to do that. And with all of these things feeding together, I'm confident about it. Eric Bieniemy fed 71 targets to Jarek McKinnon alone last season, that Chiefs offense. Mm-hmm. And a 71 target season for Antonio Gibson would be the highest of his career. Yeah. So and, and they're gonna pass less, but but yeah, point point still taken. Yeah. So I mean, with all of that, and you're getting the RB34, I resoundingly think he can go higher. I also don't think Brian Robinson's good. I said this in our earlier podcast. One of the camp storylines is who's the RB2 in Washington. I now feel pretty comfortable that it's Antonio Gibson, and he's going up against a guy who in his rookie year averaged 3.9 yards of carry. So, again, I'm taking him where I can get him. At cost, I love him. But even as like a RB30, I think he's still going to return value pretty quickly. Yep. So, like, what does a breakout season for Gibson look like in your mind, then? I mean, at ADP, I think top 20, but I think he has, like, outs, like 
if you're asking me to wait in, I think he has like a 30% chance of being within the top 12 in this offense. Yeah, it's, you know, he's kind of like the Deontay Johnson of running backs to me, where it's like, I like the player a lot, but he also makes a lot of boneheaded plays that, that will drive coaches crazy. And I have to assume that because he's had his share of fumbles and costly fumbles as a, as a runner. I have to assume that's part of what is driving a coach like Ron Rivera crazy. Maybe there's things behind the scenes that we just don't know about. Uh, maybe he's not the best worker, but I, I don't know. We don't know anything about the guy, so I don't want to presume. But but yeah, that I am more concerned with the the coaching side of this than I am the player side of this. Like I think Gibson has the ability to do that. Now, does the offense have the ability to get him there if Robinson is still pretty involved? Eh, I, I'm not totally sure but but the player himself has that ability it's just gonna be how involved is brian robinson is chris rodriguez involved and then really the big thing uh does ron rivera just hate antonio gibson so much that he's gonna overrule uh eric (laughs) bien and uh the incredibly harsh offensive coordinator that he apparently is well the funny fact uh, Antonio Gibson came out and said, I don't think he's running us too hard at practice. So, <laughs> little narrative street, little narrative street here. All right, we're gonna shockingly have two guys, which I didn't even really realize until I'm thinking about it now. Two guys from the Washington football team on the breakout list with my second one. So, man, we are we are in on the Washington football team because we're both big Terry McLaurin guys, too. Uh, my breakout is Jahan Dotson, who is going as the wide receiver. 37 in ADP. You know, I have him closer to, to 30 in my ranks. In my initial ranks, I had him, I think, like 26 or 27. Felt kind of queasy about that and found excuses to bump him down a couple of spots. But this is a guy that Reception Perception has loved both as a college prospect and in the NFL. You look uh, in college, he was the best zone beater in his class. That included Garrett Wilson, Drake London, and Chris Olave. And he had the best hands grade. By, by Matt Harmon in that class as well. You look at the NFL, I mean, he is in the 87th percentile against press man. He can do it outside. He is just under 70% against man coverage and about 80% versus zone. This this guy is really, really good against zone coverage. And to, to be clear, that 80% is probably like, I don't have it in front of me, like 90th percentile against zone. Something to that effect. And then you look at the, the A dot, 13... Uh, 0.98, that is just barely behind Chris Olave. It's ahead of guys like uh, MVS and Christian Watson. Like, he's a legit downfield weapon. He can be a guy that gets open in zone coverage. I think that's why we saw him have such a high touchdown rate last season. And, and we see him as a regression candidate for a lot of people just because of that. And, I mean, the guy has great hands. He has a great catch radius, great timing, you know, high points the ball really well. Like, touchdowns are not a sticky stat, but I think he profiles as a guy that just, if the opportunities are there, like, he is going to be maybe the, he was the number one red zone option when he played last year, and I can see that being that way again this year, even if, like, I think they're, I'm not one of these that thinks that Dodson is as good or better, or, I think Terry McLaurin is better, but I think in the red zone, that could be Jahan Dodson. Uh, city and then you know you mentioned Eric Bieniemy w- with Gibson like I think he can really transform this passing offense whether it's Sam Howell whether it's Jacoby Brissett like I don't feel great about either of those guys just on their own but I think Bieniemy 
is smart enough and he has good enough weapons that he's going to be able to have a, a very, like, I'd say they could be a, an average offense. And even an average offense is capable of having multiple fantasy guys that are, are really, really impactful uh, for your team. And then you think back to last year, you know, Amari Cooper was a lot better with, with Jacoby Brissett than he was with Deshaun Watson. Like, I just love this guy as a player. He was a top 20 fantasy scorer five times last season. Weeks 13 through 18, once he came back from injury and was healthy, he was 13th in air yards per route run. And he was the wide receiver 19 down the stretch of the season last year. And that's with Terry McLaurin being the wide receiver 14. So, like, I think there is room for both of these guys. I think a breakout season for him, like, it would not surprise me if he is wide receiver 19 on the season this year. I think he's got that kind of upside. And I think, just like, I've never been the biggest Curtis Samuel guy. I think in the passing game, it's McLaurin, it's Dotson, and then it's everybody else. We hope Gibson can be part of that. And Samuel will be part of that too. But I think we have a very clear one and two in the passing game with other guys earning scraps. And again, I'm just really in on this guy as a player. This is another situation where if you just put him somewhere else, like a very average situation, he is probably being drafted where Christian Watson is, frankly. And I, I think he's a better player than Christian Watson. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think this is a situation where if we knew like Sam Howell was a, a mid-tier quarterback, like e- even a Kirk Cousins, uh, we would feel comfortable drafting Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson inside the top 20 mm-hmm. of wide receivers. The The question marks are not the talent among either of those players. Um, the question marks are the quarterbacking. I think Eric Bannemi is going to be an improvement for the play calling of this offense. It's going to give them better looks. But, I mean, at the same time, Washington traded up to draft Jahan Dotson. He's a first-round pick with the draft capitals there. Mm-hmm. He was overshadowed by some guys in that class who were definitely better than him. But yeah. those guys are also superstars. Yeah, those, those guys are, like, legitimately, like, fit two of like two of the 15 best receivers yeah. in the NFL. And I think Drake London is, like, probably right there, too. He just hasn't had the chance to show it. Yeah. So this and then is Jameson like a, Williams. Yes, and this is, this is, like, a historic draft class, potentially, at receiver. It's early, but that's what it looks like right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, like you said, he definitely had a high touchdown rate last year on a, on a low play count. But, I mean, he's just a red zone guy. Three of those touchdowns, I was looking this up because he is very likely going to be a bye guy for me. Three of his touchdowns last season came outside the 20s with Yak. Yep. I mean, it wasn't just like he was getting targeted in the red zone. He was doing the work to get in the red zone and to score the touchdowns himself. Um, so those are positive plays. His yards per reception and his rack after the receptions were high. I mean, he's a guy who makes players miss, which is another thing you love to see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, John Dotson, another guy who's definitely on the breakout list and could easily do it. Yep. Agree with you there. I I think our guy Kevin has stayed around this whole time uh, to get his question answered, so we will certainly do that. His question, he's asking us, would we rather have C.D. Lamb, second-round keeper, or Travis Etienne, fourth-round keeper, I think, or he's saying four-keeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. top six pick, 12-team PPR. Each team keeps two players, so it's not like we're looking at um, the normal strong draft. I, I think, for me, uh, C.D. Lamb in the second round is a much better value. Like, ETN is probably, to me, like a late third, early fourth round pick. So you'd be keeping him probably at normal ADP. I, I think CeeDee Lamb is probably a a mid to late, for, depending on, what you say, PPR. So in PPR, he's probably like the eighth pick, right? Like the, the eighth or ninth pick. So 
I just think the difference between the eighth and ninth pick and the second round is a lot more than ETN being late third, early to mid fourth, and and you having that fourth round pick. Yeah, and I'm buying what you're selling as well. Um, last year, I said it. I think CD Lamb had a shot to lead the NFL in targets. He almost did. This year, I think it's the same mm-hmm. same drumbeat there. I know the Brandon Cooks edition has some people a little queasy, but the Dalton Schultz departure leaves more than enough targets available in this offense that he can continue to eat. You add that with the fact that like, there's there's, the Jag- just, there's just more downside with ETN. Yeah, I mean, the Jags added a player in Tank Bigsby who appears to be doing all the things that Travis Etienne did wrong, correctly. He's doing well with pass catching. He's doing well in goal line situations. I'm not overhyping Tank Bigsby, but there's a lot more concern with that. And, I mean, you're getting a second-round value on CeeDee Lamb, who I, I agree with you, is easily a top-12 pick in a PPR league. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going with CD. All right, good deal. And on that note, Dalton, that is going to do it for episode 112 of the Half Point Per Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff, at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube, link to all those things in the show notes, as always. If you catch us live on YouTube, we will answer your question. If you ask one in the chat, it will just most likely be at the end of the show as to not derail other conversations, but we will do that. The show is available every listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. If you want to support the show, subscribe to the YouTube, leave us good reviews. We appreciate all of that stuff very much. And we'll be back with a much more negative show next week with our bus. That will be a fun one. I'm sure as always, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.